Welcome, one and all, to the Star Trek Universe podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. Happy Star Trek Day, Matt. Happy Star Trek Day, listeners, and everybody but Jack Quaid. That's not being mean. That's just the inside joke from today's Star Trek Day panels, which we are here to talk to you about. Humor abounding. Uh, I have to say, Pete, I think that the Star Trek Day panel offerings as a whole, I think that some of the kind of pre-written kind of canned commentary to transition from stuff, I I wanted to wag my finger. Maybe I did a little bit on Twitter, but I quickly realized canned means focused, and sometimes the jokes were a little flat, but it was like, these were good questions asked to the right people who spoke for the right amount of time. There were no tangents. There was no whatever. There was no, you know, all due respect to Alex Kurtzman, for example. I remember at New York Comic Con one year, he was using like insider lingo. Like we got the Picard room going and people, you know, lay people didn't necessarily understand he was referring to the Picard series writing room. This was just, this was, these were not super long panels. This was the right size it was bigger than appetizers smaller than a meal it was the right size the right thing on the right day yeah it scratched an itch and i completely agree with you on the focused nature uh mika burton lavar burton's daughter and will wheaton taking turns uh alternating here i think was the the right way to do it and given the different panels that they were obviously you're gonna have will wheaton with uh, sir patrick uh, and Jonathan Frakes there, big finale. But yeah, I I think the way they um, they canned it before and edited them with the footage, so when they would mention something, it was right there uh, to be that much more clear. Again, being live with some of these panels like we have at New York Comic Con at other cons, sometimes like you said, it goes over people's heads. Wait, there's a there's a Picard room. Can I visit it? What <laughs> happens in the Picard room? Yeah, and even, you know, uh, there were a couple of points where my ears were catching points where they had edited, you know, it would be kind of the wrap-up of one thing, and all of a sudden it'd be like, and of course, let's not forget that uh, this airs on CBS, all, you know, things like that. I'll take a little janky editing if the stuff that you're editing out is the tangent, the boring, the whatever it is. I mean, it, this really was a lovely production. I know, you know, there's the usual people complaining, blah, 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 but like... Th- I know that we've kind of all said, oh, it's in the past. Oh, it's, you know, it, it, it's the day when Star Trek first started to air. Here's a picture or here's somebody, you know, somebody, Kurtzman wrote a nice thing on StarTrek.com. This felt like a celebration and it was just, it really, really was perfect. And what a time when we need it, Matt, 54 years after the original Star Trek But let's begin with the Star Trek Discovery panel, which kicked off uh, Sonequa Martin-Green just having had her baby. Uh, She introduced just the trailer. It was the only appearance she made of the day. The first glimpse of Star Trek Discovery, Matt, moving images in 11 months since New York Comic Con. Really hard to believe. Yeah, and... I, Pete, you know, listen, I am spoiler free 364 
a year. Okay, twenty three hours. What is the day that you go for spoilers? I need to know this. Uh, well, Star Trek Day is one of them for sure. Okay. Um, so I was like, you know what, you you, you got to give in. You got to cheat every so often. Um, fantastic trailer. I think it it would have been tough to do competition with the season two trailer with uh, you know Fly Away, the Lenny Kravitz song, etc. Uh, they didn't look to compete in kind of the fun rock and roll quadrant that they did with the season two trailer. However, this told us fun, run and gun, exploration, uh, kind of you know, a mandate. Like, why are things so bad? I dare say there's a. They've officially lit the fuse, at least for me as an audience member, on what is it that has made the Federation like this? What's what's the mystery of the past? The burn, um, right? Later, to, yeah, later called the burn. This thing later in the, in the trailer, you know, the burn. This terrible thing that happened. So we get a story that moves backward in terms of you know our crew getting caught up to speed. We have presumably some kind of mandate, like the real Starfleet is here, the real beacons are here to light the way, that kind of thing. So you have that aspirational. You have the action packed. You have, you know, you have. Cleveland Book Booker, uh, Pete. That's my one complaint. The number of times they said Cleveland Book Booker, <laughs> it clearly was just a copy paste, like you know, insert character name. Cleveland Book Booker. So what, what was it like for you to play Cleveland Book Booker? Well, Cleveland Book Booker, um, but it just it, it captured everything. Maybe it was a little less, you know, Pike rock and roll. I'm the cool dad that we had for season two. But Pete, there are no dads anymore. They're 938 years in the future. They are their own dads. They've grown up the year 3188 to be exact the discovery is crashed this burn which we were told later on in the panel it is not a complete collapse of starfleet of the federation okay something happened it's couched in mystery they are diminished and then the trailer ends with a new font for the show and i was instantly like that's new that's completely different and on second third glance it's actually mostly the font that is on the vessel with the v has a little bit of like a a tail up at the top of it uh but they they instantly address that because matt star trek people gonna pick up on stuff as we'll talk later on with lower decks uh but you know, the, the creatives were there. You had uh, Star Trek Universe producer Alex Kurtzman and, uh, you know, Matt, no flat screens were injured in the making of this, right? Yes, thank goodness. Uh, although, Pete, I do have to admit, I did uh, see uh, on one of those famous rumor YouTube things, I did see a couple days ago that uh, that Netflix has decided to stop carrying Star Trek Discovery and it won't be there for season three. Uh, oh, actually, wait, hold on one second, Pete. Um, they also did announce at this panel that Star Trek Discovery season three will be on Netflix in areas of the world not serviced by CBS All Access. So what? The rumor people fooled again by fake rumors or milling fake rumors again? Oh, these clowns. Also joining Kurtzman was uh, uh, series showrunner uh, Michelle Paradise. And then you had playing Cleveland Book Booker. We have David Ayala. Uh, so, you know, like you said, the, the sampling size for these panels, about 
20, 25 minutes uh, was perfect. And just some bullet points. You're not going to recap the entire, entire conversation because you can certainly go back. They're all still up there and check those out. But uh, in the past week and definitely, uh, you know, garnering interest, we've had the addition of the two uh, trans uh, non-binary roles to uh, Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery. And we're told explicitly that the character of Adira is going to join the show beginning with episode three and that Gray will uh, show up in the show the following episode, episode four. And I think the preview suggesting that there's a connection between the, the two of them, whether it is uh, of a uh, of a sibling nature or a romantic nature, whatever it might be. I think that look, these characters can show up can show up whenever the the showrunners deem fit. I think that if let me put it this way, Pete, if I was running Star Trek Discovery and I was saying, as I suppose Alex Kurtzman did, hey, we're going to continue to bring inclusivity into it. We're going to you know, cast as wide a net as possible. I think that to not have that happen right away adds to a little mystery. And also, if you if you do have people that might be not quite ready for that, uh, then you know you get you get some familiar Star Trek in there before you extend things a little bit more. I'm certainly not advocating for you know like have them be in less episodes. I just think it's interesting from a storytelling point of view. They're just kind of holding that off slightly later, but it's all the more to anticipate of less importance, but joining the cast, Matt, they made a really big deal about this cat named grudge and showed us a featurette. Um, yeah, I think they really want grudge the cat to be a big viral thing, uh, which is weird because they, uh, they had their Star Trek dog uh, account that suddenly was silenced. So I guess maybe going back to the well on that one. Um, it is kind of weird. How, let me put this way, Pete. For something to be both viral and manufactured to be viral is somewhat at odds. Um, I don't know why it rubs me the wrong way. Maybe that's why it rubs me the wrong way versus, say, the Marvel Netflix shows that had, you know, like the Jessica Jones account pretended to be Jessica Jones. I know that's kind of the same thing, but also kind of different because, uh, I don't know, I was going to say you take the one serious, not the other, but I don't think the Grudge of the Cat is actually tweeting. I don't know, Pete, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being unfair, but it, it, Grudge of the Cat has a, has a Twitter and you can follow Grudge of the Cat and be excited about Star Trek and cats. Star Trek dog greater than Grudge the Cat, but you know what? We're going to give Grudge the Cat an opportunity to, to win our hearts. Um, for me, Matt... And, you know, in keeping with the themes of Star Trek and Star Trek Day, uh, David Ayala had a really great response about joining this cast, this family, uh, the notion of hope and the hope for change. And we've only seen snippets of him. I'm super excited to see him join the cast. Obviously, the trailer shows you there's some romantic chemistry and some humor between he and Sonequa Martin-Green, and I wish October 15th was tomorrow. I think that Discovery in particular has developed this pattern where, uh, as a show, as a show kind of preparing for a season, they're, they're prepared to kind of cycle in 
important male lead for the season with the thought of then cycling them out again. I don't know that that condemns David Ajala to, you know, uh, not making the time jump back home or, you know, being phasered by the, the new, new, new Klingons uh, at the end of the season. But, but I think what I'm trying to say is, again, narratively, there's this, there's this strength, I think, to saying we're going to make the best darn Lorca that there is and that we are going to kill our darlings or we're going to kill our Lorca darlings by the end of the season. We're going to make the best darn Pike ever and Spock at number one and then we're going to move the Discovery story on. Okay, that then also warrants a spinoff, but no more Pike on Discovery. We're going to forever say no to that. And uh, I, Pete, I guess it has me uh, worrying about uh, Cleveland Book Booker. Well, we were told one-way trip, Matt, so will they keep to that? I wonder how uh, they're going to give a show to uh, Philippa Giorgio and, and Michelle Yeoh there, but we'll have to see. Uh, there was then, after a little, little bit of a break, a uh, little bit of, uh, of, I believe, Deep Space Nine, then they were talking Strange New Worlds, this being the first Strange New Worlds panel that there has been. Um, and great to see the, uh, the, the cast and crew there assembled, um, you know, lots of enthusiasm. I think that for, it was interesting to hear how, to hear how they had, they were hoping for this and, but then they weren't quite sure what, what was going on. And in, in Anson Mount's telling, like Alex Kurtzman called him and was like, Hey, so listen, uh, we're going to do a series. I, I don't. I wonder if that's maybe a little bit of fluff because I believe that's uh, at best against the informal rules in Hollywood in terms of agents and whatnot. I think that's the sort of thing that can get you in quite a bit of trouble if only a yelling phone call. Uh, So maybe it's kind of fluffing over like, oh, we already had contracts, but they had the right to refuse or things like that. But it was interesting to see the enthusiasm that they have for an episodic Star Trek series kind of in that more traditional uh, form. It's definitely a nebulous time frame. And, you know, it was almost an issue, too, of who's got their stories straight. Uh, Mount kind of jumped in to help Rebecca Romaine a little bit because she said, hey, guys, we've been sitting on this. What is it now? Over a year? And Mount was like, well, well, it only recently got greenlit. And that sounds a little bit more of the leading man, first billing type of thing coming through. And from what we understand, he's a good dude, too. And, you know, I I don't read any more into that. Um, What I found very interesting, not perhaps in the best way was Akiva Goldsman at the top telling this anecdote about having to come in to uh, Star Trek Discovery for season one because Alex Kurtzman was away and we know the turmoil that had gone on with the number of times we've had a change in showrunner and that he went to the internet to find out about Discovery and that it was about Pike and Spock and he prepped for that and it's not about Pike and Spock. So then he made it his mission to make it about Pike and Spock. Season two is about Pike and Spock. So the the joke with one of the other uh, writers was that this is officially the longest pilot to order going back to the cage <laughs> with 
the adventures of Pike and Spock and then the cameos in season two of Discovery. But that was a really odd anecdote. It was, and I can't help but think back to, uh, honestly, something I'd forgotten about and only recently unearthed, which is at the first New York Comic Con that Discovery was at, uh, Goldsman said, you know, and I'm going to add a little extra kind of menace to this. It wasn't said in a menacing way, but essentially it was like, get ready for all new characters, all new things. It's not like we're going to be meeting Mr. Spock next season. Um, And I think this was when they were maybe about eight episodes into shooting season one so you know well in advance of how the season would end so on and so forth but maybe he was trying to be weirdly prophetic um but uh we have that i also mentioned pete and i don't, I don't mean to pile on uh you know oscar-winning writer akiva goldsman although he did write batman and robin too but nobody's perfect um they did kind of geek out at one point talking about lower decks and Akiva Goldsman in particular was talking about how he he really has a really fun idea to do a crossover where the Star Trek live action universe would cross over with the animated universe. And that's when I got my geek uh, feathers ruffled because (laughs) Lower Decks (laughs) is telling stories in the live action Star Trek universe. It just happens to the story is being told in an animated way. It's all live action. It's all the one universe. This is not DC. This is not Marvel. This is not the Mirror Universe. This is not the Rick and Morty. This is the one Star Trek universe. And yeah. again, I think that he was speaking somewhat off the cuff there. And if 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 he I meant think that was more showman. I hope it was more showmanship. Not that I don't think something like that could work. Instantly, one of the other writers was like, "All right, we we'll make it time travel. We we'll do this." And I get it. But can we all agree that the crossover that needs to happen is that Tawny Newsom's Beckett Mariner needs to show up on Picard? Uh, I mean, I would, I would absolutely love that. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that you might, especially from the animation end. And I know we're about to dip into Lower Decks, but you know, Lower Decks had some casting news where it's maybe old actors playing new characters. I mean, you could have Lower Decks characters showing up in Strange New Worlds as well, just not even playing the great-great-grandfather of, you know, of Boimler or whatever. It could just be, here's Jack Quaid as engineer, you know, Smithson, and whatever it might be. I think that there's there's the opportunity for cross-pollination there. And if nothing else, I mean, you look at the roster on this day, and, you know, there was a Deep Space Nine panel, there was an Enterprise panel. We'll talk about Picard slash Next Generation in a bit. Never before, in in my humble opinion, never before has Star Trek been so strong where you could run, you know, a day. And it wasn't a full day's worth. There was, you know, there were 45-minute, there 35-minute panels. But to have six, seven panels across an entire afternoon into the evening it's so vibrant and there was so much great energy and there really is that possibility of cross-pollination. Yeah. And like you mentioned, the more episodic nature that they really drilled home in terms of what they're planning on doing and the writer's room up and going, uh, Rebecca Romaine said that, you know, she has this backstory that she's been uh, told about number one and it blew her mind. Really excited for that. And the idea here that they're going to do 
while while the plot of an episode might be one off, the character stuff obviously carries over. You know, the one writer mentioned how it's been 25 years since Voyager, the last episodic, quote unquote, approach they took to it. You know, Matt and I texting back and forth. Wait a minute. Enterprise, episodic, serialized. And really the game changer was ER at that time in, in television history, you know, becoming much more of a serialized instead of just patient of the week type of situation. Yeah, I think purest of pure i would take a little exception at saying like and i'm putting words in the guy's mouth here but like there was no more episodic star trek after voyager i I don't think that's true but certainly the best parts of enterprise are the serial parts and certainly most of enterprise the palette of enterprise is far from you know baddie of the week as you saw in next generation so uh, pete i'll allow those writer producers the point here (laughs) romaine had a cute anecdote about her and her husband jerry o'connell who plays uh the uh first officer on lower decks jack ransom over who is the number one number one which is is the stuff of of these panels it is. It was totally cute. Um, it was. It was a fun. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you, if that was written by some, you know, uh, angry PR person in the New York City office or whatever uh, of CBS, then boy, it was well acted. It just came off as genuine. Came off as truthful. Came off as fun. And then again, keeping it to the thematic nature of the day, uh, Goldsman had a really good response talking about how you know there might have only been one other time that the themes of star trek the idea of inclusion the idea of pioneering might have been as needed and maybe we're tied with that time right now obviously alluding to the civil rights movement yeah i mean I think that there's so much great Star Trek happening right now. And I know that sometimes on the podcast, you know, certainly when we look at episodes close up, you know, it'll be, yeah, well, this story point was confusing or this was unclear or I caught, you know, a bad camera move or something like that. But the unique Star Trek aesthetic is so needed right now. And, you know, you think of what Star Trek legitimately has done for people, not directly in terms of it didn't act, you know, Star Trek didn't vote for to get certain people in office or or to get certain programs approved or disapproved or, or whatever. But it inspired the people who have gone on to do those things. And it, it's had that slow but steady impact on on millions of people for these 50 plus years all the more reason now to have so much Star Trek going on where, you know, every episode might not be a winner. Every episode might not be an earth shattering uh, opportunity for somebody to reflect on, on, uh, you know, diversity or whatever it might be, but it's all moving in the right direction. Then we moved on to the lower decks panel, Matt, where uh, showrunner Mike McMahon acknowledged that we're getting all the references that, you know, he's not really seeking things out as far as did people understand this? Did people understand that? But the way that people are, uh, you know, obviously communicating what with social media that 
we are picking up as fans the things that he and his writers are so lovingly putting into this Star Trek animated comedy. And that's great to hear. It's great to hear that he and some of the cast members are active on Twitter and enjoying themselves and all of that. I was hoping, I was like, and then he's going to say, there's this great Twitter account, Fantastic Geek, you know, but he didn't quite go that far. Pete, I think it was implied. Yet. Yet. Yes, that's true. Um, but, you know, also, a Star Trek fan is many masters that need to be served in one. And, you know, it's the, the geeky stuff. It's the chronology stuff. It's the technical manual stuff. It's all the deep cuts and references. And I know that on the Discovery um, podcasts that we've been doing, we've dug into... Uh, certainly, you know, there's sometimes there's some of these websites that will go, ooh, all the deep cuts, like the old uniforms. Yeah, I got it. I saw them seeing the uniforms. It wasn't some mysterious reference. Um, but it's all done in this sense of fun and the sense of celebrating Star Trek in a way that maybe the more serious shows can't. Uh, or if it is, then maybe it's like, no, you took my Icheb and now you've changed my memories from when I was a teen to now, or I'm pro the old Icheb act, you know, things like that where there's baggage versus Lower Decks can bring the fun without kind of the, you know, you're, you're, you're not being honest to my childhood because it's a goofy cartoon. It can bring back your childhood. And I think that's been part of the warm reception that the show has gotten, that it's, different yet it honors and reveres what has come before but can have some fun with it um i thought it was interesting it came up that uh you know the animation they were actually not done when we all entered lockdown in march in fact i didn't know this either the music was completely composed during quarantine Further, so I can understand how from a production point of view, fine, the animation isn't done. But what does that mean? That could mean to we as lay people, you know, all those sketches and animatics were done. But do we have the final animation? No. To hear Eugene Cordero, uh, he, Pillboy and also Rutherford, to hear him say, you know, when we were recording in the studio or more recently when we were recording in our closets and to go, oh, my goodness, this show wasn't done with the voice recordings when lockdown happened. That's that's really scary. And the fact that we are getting these 10 episodes in a row, yeah. uh, you know, when we did, thank goodness, because there's an alternate reality where, you know, you're not recording, you know, or not recording, but you're you're not finishing these episodes till much, much, much later, not the perceived, all right, they held Discovery until after Lower Decks, and Lower Decks maybe got moved by some weeks, but at the end of the day, it's all the same. This is far from the same. Yeah, and we know the number of moving parts with live action in terms of special effects, and then the scoring there has been one of the holdups with with Discovery, apart from the fact that they had begun filming in about July of 2019. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And to me, again, it gives this idea, okay, you know, it, it's been done now. They're obviously with discovery into their second, uh, show that they're scoring from a distance eventually at some point provided the, uh, the vaccine comes and the AstraZeneca thing doesn't turn us all into Will Smith movie zombies. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to figure this out. Um, 
I thought it was very interesting, Matt. We know that Tawny Newsom is a is a big Trekkie, uh, and and co-hosting the uh, the Star Trek official podcast as she does. Uh, and the discussion came up as far as you know, were you given things to watch, et cetera, et cetera. Her geek cred went up big time, though. She's watched everything but some episodes of the original series. Yeah, and that was not lip service. She was just kind of throwing references in there. And, I mean, references references that felt kind of real time. Like, you know, it wasn't somebody who was feeding her lines or whatever. It just felt there was an authenticity there where it was like, you know, whoa, this is this is a real fan. And honestly, contrasted by um by by jack quaid who was kind of upfront saying i've seen the movies and some of the original series which to me sounds like maybe a little less than all the movies and all the original series that sort of thing but you know just as he was being honest i take i take her at her honesty as well and her enthusiasm and it was just you know kind of there we are another star trek fan made good a, not a lot of meat to dig into really with lower decks. And that's where Mika Burton uh, turned it to the idea. Hey, uh, Mr. McMahon, I uh, want to give us some spoilers. We've been teased this idea of legacy cameos and they let us know that in the next couple episodes, unspecific that John Delancey's Q is going to show up. Now, McMahon said you were going to need eagle eyes, but the with the little sizzle reel that they showed you afterward, if you need eagle eyes to know where Q is with what they showed you, you have no business watching Star Trek. Yeah, and I almost didn't watch the sizzle reel uh, just because I think with Discovery, the wait has been so long and the time to premiere is long enough that I could watch that. And this, you know, we're getting a new lower deck later this week. Lower decks, I guess it still would be anyhow we're getting a new one later this week so i was like oh what do i do i watched it it the whole thing was so good it reminded reminded me of a quote about the music in the simpsons which is the music doesn't know that it's a cartoon and a comedy and same thing like the lower deck sizzle reel the lower deck story that's driving all of this if it's this independent thing that's not you know mike mcmahon and and the writers and whatnot. The story doesn't know that this is a goofy Star Trek comedy cartoon. It's an earnest story where funny things happen sometimes and it looks animated. Another cameo was teased, this not of a legacy character per se, but Kurtwood Smith is going to show up in the next couple episodes. Uh, he, of course, played the president of the Federation in Star Trek VI, but what they didn't reference is that he had been on voyager in the two-parter year of hell that portion of the panel talking about future voice actors and also reflecting on some of the great people that have been on already um i think i didn't fully appreciate that lower decks is this hub for really funny people you know matt walsh who had played uh, the lieutenant commander in this last episode as one example um Haley joel osmond as uh, the ascendancy guy like yeah. come on <laughs> like things like that where it's like i had no idea and i i guess i'm not watching the credits enough or i'm not looking at memory alpha enough or whatever but just this notion uh, look i have this pre-covid notion of like they're all coming by the recording studio and it's all laughs you know like on behind the scenes family guy stuff from 15 years ago you know of course all these people likely recorded it 
you know, uh, in a closet, as Eugene Cordero said. But um, just the notion that this production is attracting a ton of people for, you know, this this fun part, that fun part, whatever it might be, it just adds to the joy that this show brings, which is a nice contract to some contrast to some of the other shows where they're delving into the darkness a bit. And then they gave us that sizzle reel, Matt, the takeaways, they're going to get a dog at least for a little bit. Klingons are going to show up. a dog or a cube, a dog or a cube, a cube dog. Uh, so Klingons are going to show up. We're going to see some Gorn and Rutherford is going to experiment with sexy mode on his cybernetic enhancement. Uh, Pete, the only bad news from the panel was that there's only five episodes left to push all that stuff into. Uh, I guess the flip side is, did these five episodes not exist when they did the first sizzle reel? You know, like however many months ago? I guess they didn't, right? So all the more reason to do first half and second half. But Pete, now the last section of the Star Trek Day uh, celebration. Can we say star something celebration? I don't know. The, the, the Wookiees might be upset. But Pete, there was the Picard slash TNG panel. And it's a rather understated affair. Will Wheaton talking to Sir Patrick Stewart and Mr. Jonathan Frakes. Now, I get it. I know that. Will Wheaton is very close with Sir Patrick Stewart, but you don't introduce him as Sir or later as Frakes said, which I think should be a thing. SPS. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, Pete, I have no knowledge of Patrick Stewart being a haughty man, but maybe perhaps when one is knighted, it just simply word is put out there in uh, amongst your circle uh when we are in public it is sir patrick stewart when it, when i when it is a public introduction it is sir patrick stewart um i believe at the picard uh panel that was online a few weeks ago i think allison pill as well had uh, had said sps so allison pill will wheaton um not quite sure what the connection is but somebody can write some fanfic or something i don't know uh but perhaps it's an honorific that he feels he has coming to him since he's uh you know earned the honor sir patrick writing his memoirs here in quarantine in addition to doing the effervescent shakespearean sonnets one a day uh on his social media channels but uh freaks talked a little bit about uh discovery with the season three trailer having been dropped at the start of all these panels and wistfully recalling how being around that cast reminds him of them, of the next generation and what they were like. And it certainly continues to be a great through line that Frakes has returned as director uh, to discovery. I know he did some Picard as well, but I have to think that amongst the, you know, amongst the Kurtzman era Star Trek folks, you know, that Discovery, much like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the mothership for Marvel TV, that the same for Discovery. Discovery has the potential to go on and on in a way that perhaps the Picard series won't, perhaps that Lower Decks is not built to, etc. So I think having those two guys as the, uh, you know, as being interviewed, I think it, it, A, was a great way to keep the focus on the best known of 
the best known of all the Star Trek series, with all due deference to, to classic Trek, in my mind, TNG takes the cake. But also to keep it a bit more modern, because you have the Picard of Star Trek Picard, as well as Frakes, who's busy with Discovery. The thing that I found really interesting was where Sir Patrick talked about how he loves leading. He loves the responsibility of that. And, you know, he's a thespian. He is this classically trained actor. But it's so rare that you're playing, in fact, somebody that you try to be. Well, you know, it's funny, Pete, I know, you know, again, not to delve too much into the rumor people that are always wrong, but, you know, there's been this, there's been this silly narrative put forth by people looking for clicks that, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart was, was held captive on the first season of Picard and doesn't want to do more, you know, just ridiculous stuff to get clicks. But to see him at the complete opposite end of that, you know, proud to be a series lead, it even made me think too, Pete. I know I've discussed on the podcast that I, you know, the first season of Picard was not highest on the list for me in terms of recent Star Trek. To me, the tone a tad too dark. Again, just for me, I'm not saying it's it's you know it's not suitable for others, etc. It does help in the knowledge though that Patrick Stewart had a hand in making the kind of Star Trek he wanted to make. And if it was Star Trek Macbeth with a little bit extra, you know, violence there, and that's not my cup of tea, well, I will defer to he who orders the tea. And they talked about his involvement in the writer's room, especially as a producer. And he says that the first four episodes for season two, the characterization, the complexity that they're unexpected, really, really going well. It seems like everybody's benefiting from this extra time in quarantine with these scripts. Well, I think that's a huge takeaway as well, that writers are in a position to have continued to write through all this. Yes, special effects people too, but at a certain point you're done with the special effects and then there's now not the next job to move to. Whereas you, you can go back and polish a script and polish a script and compared to a special effects budget, a music budget, uh, an Alex Kurtzman paycheck budget, you know, these writing staffs are, are, are making a fraction of what it costs to run a show. So of course you can keep the room open and say, you know, now let's all zoom and we writers, let's act it out. Ooh, that didn't sound good. Ooh, sound, that sounded great, whatever it is. And you hope that the entire, Pete, I was going to say Star Trek Enterprise. That's what my brain gave me and I reject that pun <laughs> brain. But the entire Star Trek Incorporated, if you will, the entire modern effort of Star Trek is really taking advantage of this thing that we have too much of now, which is time. Yeah. Uh, Will Wheaton directed it back to Frakes not having been able to discuss the finale with him for Picard with um, Riker showing back up in the captain's chair and Frakes had been up in Toronto directing um, Discovery and walked through the, the secrecy that they had to go through to maintain that. Which I think is part and parcel of, uh, you know, of these kind of red letter productions that there are now. Uh, and it was a fun moment and it was well earned. You know, I, I still do think maybe the show thought that we wouldn't recognize the Discovery Bridge set there. But, you know, it's all in good fun. And 
you know, again, it was all in service of a great moment. It was all in service of some nostalgia that also made story sense. And then bringing it back to chairs, Freaks will direct again, but no confirmation, although it seems all but assumed he will direct a second season episode of Picard whenever it is they get going. They're they're pretty far down the chute as far as preparation. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, he's now in this cycle of one or two or three episodes a year for, uh, for you know, the Star Trek universe. You add to that some of the, uh, some of the stuff that he's doing over there on, uh, on Orville. And he's probably, you know, probably as busy as he wants to be. You figure, you know, two or three weeks to prep an episode. You shoot it for a week, two or three weeks to, to hand in the edit and all of that. So he's probably keeping just as busy as he wants to be uh, with uh, shows in the stars. Pete, speaking of which, a star in his own right who worked hard, labored while the sun was down and the moon was rising to get us his thoughts. I talk about the insatiable, the irrepressible, the amazing Admiral Fred. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Day, 8 September 2020. 54 years after the first airing of Star Trek, the original series. They chose a more or less convenient time even for people in Europe to watch this live. 12 o'clock Pacific is for me 9 o'clock in the evening. So for the last three hours I watched this and I was quite impressed by what, how they did it and what they did. It was of course all planned and organized but still it felt quite genuine. And I think there were some really genuine revelations, especially the story, of course, of George Takai, how his family was taken out of their house during the war or during the period that the Japanese were not that appreciated in the US. And hearing a story that in that time there was really a kind of concentration camp in the US was quite shocking to hear. Another thing I learned here that actually the episode where the interracial kiss was between Uhura and Kirk was the lowest rated episode. Really ridiculous. But if you hear that, you can understand that Gene Roddenberry couldn't go where George Takei wanted him to go in the sense of perhaps doing something about same-sex relationships. He also had to think of his advertisement incomes or even stopping his whole show. I was a little bit annoyed by the constant advertising by Will Wheaton and I laughed by the way that it was the daughter of LeVar Burton and that he suddenly popped up with the Voyager crew. But a little bit annoyed by the constant advertising of that you can see all these series on CBS All Access. On the other hand, this whole thing was for free, so what am I complaining about? And touching was of course remembering Renee and Aaron by the Deep Space Nine cast and crew. I never knew that Scott Bakula had such a central role in uh, the series or in the cast and crew of that series. I'm really triggered by re-watching that. 
And it was again very striking that Anthony uh, Montgomery, who plays Ensign Travis Mayweather on the Enterprise, was also feeling non-racial differences only with his work uh, for Star Trek or watching Star Trek when he was younger. I think the whole Star Trek day was quite an homage to the Gene Roddenberry idea of equality and having a better future. Although if you look where we are at this moment in the world, uh, we still have to work very hard uh, to do that. But if you see the costs of these different series, they succeeded in that at least together. And I'm actually looking forward to Will Wheaton doing the ready room for Star Trek Discovery again. I think he got the hang of it quite well. Okay, that was all for now. It's almost 2 a.m. in the night, so I'm going to sleep. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Yes, Fred here coming through. Even though it's late, Matt, we and our listeners expect nothing less. But he hit the proverbial nail on the head there. This idea of inclusion, nay, infinite diversity in infinite combinations that Roddenberry spearheaded still very much the center of Star Trek and, you know, all too important on a day like today. Yeah, I think Fred also, you know, sharing how he felt this whole production was organized and genuine. Uh, And I think that, you know, I had made the suggestion perhaps at the top of this that sometimes those two can act in opposition, but here the, the mixed are perfect. Uh, it was, of course, presented for free. I think Fred zeroing in, very rightly so, on the fact that uh, Will Wheaton, as well as Micah Burton, popped in plenty of times to say, CBS All Access, space in Canada, Netflix throughout the world. You know, uh, obviously not for every show, because Netflix doesn't have them all, blah, blah, blah. But to to that was the price we had to pay. And was it a little annoying? Yes, but that was the price to, to have it free, I suppose, was that it was, uh, it, it was a, uh, an advertisement uh, for Star Trek as much as the Star Trek services and whatnot. But certainly kind words there by Fred and uh, his input always, always appreciated. Just a reminder that all of the content that Fantastic Geek brings you whether it is set in the star trek universe whether it's set in the marvel cinematic universe over there in star wars land with the mandalorian on disney plus and all the other shows that'll be coming from them is brought to you by the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek their support keeping us going particularly as we're looking at marvel star trek star wars all in in the recent past in the near future i mean what a what a fun time to be playing and uh, it's all made possible by the people go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, helping us with the bandwidth, the storage, other ancillary costs, and uh, that support always appreciated. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. Can't contribute right now. We certainly understand that during the pandemic. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating to any of our 19 podcast feeds. Takes a second. Leave us a review. Takes a little longer, but all of them help push the word on Fantastic Geek. And of course, looking forward to keeping the Star Trek conversation going 
half of the season of Lower Decks ahead of us, the entire season three of Discovery ahead as well. So Pete, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,521 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a P-H, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, the best news of all, we'll be talking again about Star Trek sooner than we would have uh, our Star Trek focus now moving from Sundays to Saturdays. So Star Trek Saturday, this Saturday, the 12th, looking forward to talking about uh, Lower Decks episode 106. And who knows what other news will pop up between now and then. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Look long and prosper.